Good morning, or evening, or night time, or whenever this finds you. This is a Church at Home Study, Philippians Part 2, which is chapters 3 and 4, because Philippians is super tiny. So last time, we finished by reading back over Philippians 2, verses 12 to 18, where Paul encourages the church to hold tight to the word and rejoice and share in the joy that comes from knowing Christ. And remember that joy and happiness are not the same thing, and it should come as no surprise that chapter 3, in my Bible at least, is headlined, Joy in Believing. And he opens up with this super challenging verse, Whatever happens, rejoice in the Lord. Now Paul's under no illusions. The church is going to be attacked from without and sometimes from within. And the next few verses, I think, are going to show that. Um, Paul says in the opening verses of chapter 3, Watch out for those dogs, those people who do evil and who say you must be circumcised to be saved. And then Paul says that we rely on what Christ has done. And it may be less common in Wales, but it's not a stretch to think um, that even some churches will put a checklist on your salvation. Um, that is not entirely dependent first on faith in Jesus. So you might have to um, wear certain things or go to certain things in order to be counted as saved. If you've ever been in a church like that, or if you've been hurt by Christians who in the past or even in the present um, have made you feel like there are rules that you have to perform certain things in order to be saved. Um, not that, and I'm, I mean, I'm not talking about that you should be behaving like a Christian and that it's good to be baptized. I don't mean that. I mean that if if there's ever been a part in your life where you have felt like it wasn't initially just because of your faith in Christ, if there was other things you had to perform to earn your salvation, then please take a few minutes to read back you know, chapter 3, especially the first four verses, and be encouraged by Paul. Paul is all about um, being saved by Christ. It's all God's work. It's not our work. We can't earn our salvation. And then Paul goes on to explain um, a little bit about himself in order to kind of prove this point. And he's not he's not trying to be boastful, but let's look at what he says next. So in chapter 3, verses 5 to 6, if you just read that through and look at what he's saying, he says he is a circumcised Jew. He was circumcised eight days old. He was a pure-blooded Israelite from the tribe of Benjamin. He is a legitimate Jewish man. He was a Pharisee who obeys the law, and he says he obeyed the law with such zeal and obedience that he even persecuted the church and this is a really interesting bit was without fault in the law and now first when i read that i thought if you've obeyed the law without fault would that not mean that by his definition he he means that he's made himself right with god but look just before that he has admitted to persecuting the church he says i even persecuted the church i was without fault in the law um, so by the law, Paul says, basically, he was so good, he was such a, you know, a hard-working Jew, that by the law standard, he was faultless. And this bounces back from what Paul has just said in verse 3, that actually we put no confidence in human efforts, because he's realised that if you work your hardest, if you have made yourself the most hard-working, perfect Jewish man, it's still lacking something you're still lacking something. By all counts, Paul's saying he was basically the most upstanding, perfect Jewish person under the rules of the law that you could be, but that does not make him right with God. All it actually made him do was hurt the church because he was so adamant that the church were against God, and he ended up hurting the church and actually hurting his God rather than serving his God. And in verse 7 to 8 of chapter 3 is one of the more famous passages from this letter. 
It says everything else is worthless compared to the infinite value of knowing Christ. And this is a very challenging verse. Paul Paul really is the kind of person who would have known what like earning the highest position in his culture was going to look like. He could possibly have been the high priest if he continued to work the way he was going. He was a Roman citizen. He probably could have earned quite a lot and got some real you know, prestige in his culture. But instead, he says this, for his sake, Christ, I have discarded everything else, counting it as garbage so that I can know Christ. He's not relying on anything that he can achieve or even anything that anyone else can do. Ultimately, his assurance, his foundation to his whole life is all in Jesus and the salvation that was won on the cross. Yes, Paul obviously works hard. He studies. He's probably quite healthy. He's walking here and there and everywhere. But his motivations and his values are all Jesus. Take a take a few minutes, if you can, and think about what Paul is saying. If you want to read back, read back verses 7 to 11. And just take a few minutes and really like process what he's saying. I see a lot of modern churches using a lot of resources and, and using them very well. Um, but a lot of really very wealthy modern churches use resources and they present the Christian way of life in a very attractive way. And I don't really have a problem with things being done well. But if we as the church rely on more than knowing Christ and preaching Christ and learning what the Bible is actually talking about, and if we and if we rely on and begin to believe that we have to have great production and entertainment and great music and great designs, you may find that we are going to start believing that Christianity is actually about having a really good time and having success and having really great quality life in the economic sense. And there's nothing wrong with having a great quality of life. I'd love to have a great quality life. I do have a great quality life. And there's nothing wrong with music done in churches being amazing rather than terrible. But if that is, um, if, if we slip over from knowing God, seeking God, really getting into our scripture and really trying to figure out what it's saying to us and and like reading it and praying and trying to yearn after God, if we if we focus more on the other stuff, we're going to end up being a church that focuses more on entertainment rather than really knowing Jesus. And look at that, Paul counts everything else. And, and by this, he's specifically talking about things that are brought about by human efforts as worthless compared to knowing Christ. Like, how much do we prioritise being brilliant at something or having great quality stuff or being the best at a certain skill or maybe as a church having the best quality church services because that's something maybe spend a few minutes really reflecting on our motivations and what it is we are looking for in life both as a christian individually and maybe as a church and, and how church is done maybe ask ourselves how are we are we focusing a hundred percent on really knowing christ and seeking god or are there other considerations that we might be holding a little bit more dearly, if we're honest? Now, Paul is then eager to tell you that he hasn't yet achieved perfection, not by any means. Um, but he is pushing forward with his life, getting to know Christ more and more. And he says, in order to one day receive the heavenly prize for which God is calling us. And he finishes chapter three with just a little warning to be on the lookout for people who brag about shameful things and who are clearly only interested in position and privilege. We can all fall prey to a bit of bragging and pride. 
he's probably done it himself. But some people in our lives, if we really, if we really look, we will see that they won't ever accept correction or criticism, and they can't be humbled. And that's the kind of person that Paul is warning us to be on the lookout for. Because the church is not about ambition, but it's about selfless love and imitating Christ. And with all that behind him, Paul begins to close his letter. And my Bible headlines it, Joy in Giving. And if we're living not for ourselves, and not in Paul's words, for all the garbage that he counts as worthless, then there should be no problem with us being generous givers with what we have. Paul opens chapter 4 by telling two women in the church of Philippi to settle their disagreement. That's something we should be aware of all the time, as the church should be united in seeking and following Christ. He then repeats again to rejoice and then asks the church to be considerate in all that they are doing. And this sets up the next really famous passage from Philippians, and I'm sure a lot of you know it, in verse 6. He says, don't worry about anything, instead pray about everything. Tell God what you need. So if we really don't live our lives, like, propped up on our own achievements and our own wealth, then we really can pray this prayer truthfully. We can really live a life of joy that is trusting in God for our salvation and our worth and this model to live our lives by. Now, Paul's not saying that we shouldn't work hard for things. We shouldn't work hard for food or that we should just sit down and wait to see what happens. He's not saying we should just be lazy and do nothing. But he is proclaiming that where our foundation for life is built in Christ and in Christ's power and love, we don't need anything else. We can give it away. We can be generous with our money and our time and our property and our resources. If, however, we count our money and our time and our resources and our awards and our abilities and our popularity as really important to who we are and our identity, we won't be as free to give of them. We will find the idea of sacrificing things and giving and serving people extremely difficult. And we won't be able to have joy in the Lord at all times because what happens if the world goes you know, pear-shaped, we'll only have what we count as important to back ourselves up on. And if that isn't there anymore, we'll panic. We won't know what to do. Our own efforts will have failed us. And on the contrary, Paul is urging the church, and he's urging us today to count all our own efforts to salvation as worthless, because it is faith in Christ that brings true joy and true salvation. And he finishes Philippians by thanking the church for their gifts and their thoughts and their love. And he tells them that he has learned to be content with much and with nothing, with an empty stomach and a full stomach. And, and why is that? Because, and here's another famous verse. Paul says, I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. But he's also thankful that the church gave him food and money to help him on his way. Paul isn't saying that I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength, therefore I can grow wings and fly, or I can jump off this mountain, or I can hold my breath underwater forever and magic up gold from the ground. He's saying that if life is good, great. If life is bad, that's okay. He can live his life joyfully in Christ, and through Christ he has the strength to persevere through good or bad, rich or poor, healthy or sick, lonely or full of friends. He's telling us that the secret to contentment and true joy is not putting our hopes in our own human and mortal strengths, but in Christ. In Christ, he can push off off if he's poor, if he's sick, if he's in prison. In Christ and in Christ's promise, he can know salvation and he can weather anything. 
Read back chapter four if you've got time and just think about that. Think about what we're going through and how you're coping and read back what Paul is saying and reflect on that and give it a go. Pray about everything. Seek to know Christ more and more to rely on him. And maybe finish up today by asking, how are you challenged by Philippians? What are you going to take away from it? If you want to discuss anything with me, get in touch at any time. ASAP, I have got lots of time. Have a lovely day.